Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. He's authentic. He, he's a man of his word, you know. He wasn't a guy that was going to preach something and then do something else. Skip, he was verbal. He was always doing something to get himself better. He always took time for everyone else. I'm always very grateful for him. You know, Skip had an unbelievable influence on my career. You know, coming up in St. Louis, he was always a guy that, you know, myself, Daniel Descalzo, Craig, Freeze, we we lean on, hey, what's going on? Hey, what, what should we do against this pitcher? You know, he was just always there for us. And, you know, so it doesn't surprise me the success he's had in his new venture of coaching. That's former Cardinal outfielder John Jay yesterday with Carriker and Smallman. And good morning, everyone. Great to have you with us at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. And uh, Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. The Flash apparently official. The Cardinals officially announcing that Skip Schumacher will be their bench coach in 2021. And as he told Derek Gould over the weekend, and Derek, he went down to California to talk to Skip Schumacher. He's got an approach. It's called the CAPE approach, and it'll serve him well as a manager because C stands for communication. A stands for alignment, either on the field for the players or throughout the organization. The organization has to be aligned with a single purpose. P is preparation, and E is execution. If you put all of those together, you win a World Series. Cape it up. Let's cape it up, Randy. Let's go cape. <laughs> Let's go cape. Out of the C-A-P-E, you know what word popped out to me, or which letter what? I should say popped out to me, is A, alignment. Because isn't that what the Cardinals have been trying to do these past few seasons, especially with their offensive approach? Whether it was having multiple voices in with Jeff Alberta and Mark Budaska, or removing Mike Schilt from the equation if he wasn't 100% on board with the philosophy that the Cardinals were implementing throughout the entire organization. This is what they've been moving towards, which is to have everyone in alignment with one another, pulling the rope the same way no deviation at all so the fact that the a in alignment is one of skip schumacher's four pillars i think is probably very attractive to john mosaylock mr dewitt and those powers that be in the cardinals organization i think winning is cool cool awesome pitching epic that's my cape cool awesome pitching epic yeah because if you get awesome pitching you're gonna have an epic season okay. you don't have to worry about the other stuff you just go get five star well i shouldn't say you just go get five starters but many times if you get five starters you are going to win now how would you like to be cool awesome pitching epic now, now Thank you. with with skip though the word execution is something that he can preach to his players you are prepared p mm -hmm. and you execute e how do you tell the players how do you instruct them to be epic you say, if we have awesome pitching, you're epic. <laughs> okay. 
And they're like, yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, think about this, Michelle. If you put together a pitching staff, like of in their prime, Scherzer, Verlander, Price, Anibal Sanchez, Rick Porcello, <laughs> you get five guys like that. How can you? Oh, you can lose. Also, it sounds like that memo should be going to the front office, not yeah. to the players. Yeah, exactly. Because give me epic, give me right. great pitching, and we'll be epic. So Skip Schumacher is here officially, and Turner Ward, a 12-year major league hitter who was the hitting coach for the Dodgers in 17 and 18 when they went to the World Series. He's their new assistant hitting coach. I think that's a good get. It seems like it. He's got a lot of experience. He's been in baseball for a long time. And as you mentioned, been with several organizations, including the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. He's worked with Paul Goldschmidt. That's going to be a reunion of sorts. And I have to imagine that the Cardinals spoke with Paul Goldschmidt about Turner Ward before Mm -hmm. they made this move. And I'm sure he gave a glowing review. They're not going to bring somebody in that Paul Goldschmidt, who's one of the leaders of this team now and for the future, has worked with that he doesn't completely sign off on. And this is another thing that they had been talking about, about getting the right voices within the organization to make sure that the players are receiving the information about the philosophy offensively that they're trying to implement. So hopefully Turner Ward is that voice. He's another new voice that can help translate some of these things for the players. Ali Marmol is set with his staff for his first year as the Cardinal manager in 2021. Blues back in action tonight at Enterprise Center. They take on the Arizona Coyotes who are 1-13-1. Scott Perunovich called up yesterday during the show. Probably will play for the Blues who need to get back on track because they have lost three in a row. And oh, by the way, they placed Kyle Clifford on waivers and they're hoping that somebody will claim that million dollar cap hit. I don't think anybody will. But hopefully they do. That yeah. would be a, a headache that Doug Armstrong doesn't have to deal with. But you're right, Randy. The, the Blues need to get back on track. The Coyotes feel like the perfect opponent, opponent for them to do so because some heartbreaking games lately, yeah. some, some moments where the Blues have played hard, maybe not consistent, but hard. And to walk away with no points from that, pretty frustrating for this team. So hopefully the Coyotes... Uh, provide them that opportunity and Randy I don't know about you but I still have a little bit of PTSD from the Coyotes from last season where they played them so many times anytime I see them on the schedule this season I'm like ugh, the Coyotes I just I had my fill of them last year but hopefully this year will be different hopefully it'll be different this year Uh, last night Monday Night Football speaking about I thought you were going to lead the show with this well no we we, we have have other important stuff (laughs) but at the end of the night we're saying No, we're not. We're saying (laughs) (laughs) it was a good effort, but they lost 31 to 10. The L.A. Rams falling to the 49ers by a score of 31 to 10. And Michelle, last night I was live tweeting the game and I saw and and so like three tweets in, I get a text from somebody who said you can only do gifts for text or for tweets for the rest of the night. And I I tweeted back. Okay, I did Andy from the office. Okay, <laughs> and uh, so I, I'm tweeting with glee, I might add, as the 49ers build their lead, and somebody comes up with a, a quite famous line. They tweet to me, "Get over it," and I say, "No, I'm not going to." Get over it. Wait, Bob Costas is on Twitter. It's a burner account. It's oh, got to be a burner account, gotta right? Got to be for sure. Yeah. Thirty-one to ten in Odell Beckham's. uh, Odell Beckham Jr.'s debut with the Los Angeles Rams. I was excited. I was, you know, felt like I was ready for the moment. Uh, I felt like I've been through so much and and 
God has put me in this position for that exact moment, and it just wasn't our night. Like, there's really no way around it. It just wasn't our night. Um, all three phases of the game, you know, they ran the ball well. Uh, they stopped us while we were on offense, and they just they just beat us. It's five wins in a row for the 49ers over Sean McVay and the Rams. Five in a row? Yeah. Hmm. Kyle Shanahan owns him. He's got ownage. It just wasn't their night in any phase of the game, but I was uh, looking at some numbers this morning. The Rams have a 9% chance to make the Super Bowl, 9%. And clearly they have pushed all of the chips in this season, going out and acquiring. Yeah, Randy just mind Push. pushing the chips yep. in. Um, going out and acquiring Matthew Stafford, Von Miller. They, they bring in Odell Beckham Jr. They did a good job of bringing in star players and big names to the City of Angels. But were they the right players? Were they the right players to make this a cohesive football team? Doesn't look like it right now. And I just wonder what the fallout is going to be if they don't have a good showing the rest of the season or if they get bounced in the first round of the playoffs, especially with the lawsuit looming and especially with the Super Bowl being in the house that stands this season there's going to be a lot of talk about the Rams because that's what naturally happens you talk about the team that's hosting the Super Bowl they're going to be talking about really I think the world getting uh, eyeballs on this building because a lot of people probably watch them in prime time but it's totally different when it's the Super Bowl and you're going to be talking about the state of the team and that includes a lawsuit and that includes a team that has gone out and given up a ton of draft capital Mm -hmm. to get to this point with no hardware feel for him I just I feel for him. No, not really. I don't either. A couple of notes about last night's game. And yes, the NFL has become a passing league. But last night, the Rams handed the ball off nine times and dropped back to throw at 44. Now, they were down early, but there was no balance at all. You look at the other side of the coin, the 49ers dropped back to pass 20 times and handed it off 42. The Rams are set up to stop the passing game and to pass the ball, especially with Cam Akers hurt this year. They don't have much of a running game. And the teams that are winning in the NFC, the Green Bays of the world, the Tampa Bays of the world, even the Arizonas with Kyler Murray, those teams, can they can run on you. And we were talking before we came on the air, there are only a couple of defensive players that are great defensive players for the Rams. You've got Jalen Ramsey in the defensive backfield, and you've got Aaron Donald up front. Otherwise, they don't have many other people making plays. And their defense does leave a lot to be desired, which makes me very, very happy. I can tell. I can feel it emanating from you right now. But it's exactly what we just talked about. They acquired stars. They acquired big names. And I said this to you before the show. I wonder how much of the way we perceive big-name players going to contending teams um, is like a Belichickian effect because for so many years, Bill Belichick would find a star player mm-hmm. who was fading. The star was fading a little bit. He would take them when they maybe had a year left, put them on the Patriots, and they would thrive. And so I wonder if it's just we inherently assume, because we've seen it happen so many times in New England, that when players like Von Miller are going to the Rams, which is a team that is built to win, or at least on paper it's a team that's built to win, that we assume that it's going to click. Or Odell Beckham Jr., yeah. same thing. Even though there were a lot more questions surrounding Odell going there I'm after the Robert Woods injury, there were less. But 
more people were wondering how that was going to fit. But I think it's just natural for us to think, well, this is a contending team. This is a star player. Go ahead and put those two together, and it's going to be successful. But that's not always the case. Especially in football. You had that dream team in Philadelphia about a decade ago when Michael Vick got out of jail, and they were not good. They were they were actually a bad team. What you need to have is depth across the board. And they've got their salary cap tied up in about, about five guys. And ultimately, that is unless you get really lucky and don't have any injuries, that is going to come back to haunt you. But you know what? Don't worry, Randy. If it doesn't work out, they can just go draft some guys. Oh. Oh, yeah. I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that they have enough picks to do that. Hmm. So, (laughs) you feel for them? Feel great. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Uh, That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running. And coming up, Andrew Marsh has an idea for us. And it's a new game and you will love it because it's a primetime smash. <laughs> the Backler is coming your way with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 32 quarterbacks all vying for that final game ball. Who will Randy and Michelle choose? Find out on an all-new season of The Backler. Somebody is going to win the game ball at the end of the season. It's season one of The Backler on 101 ESPN. Win the game ball and our hearts. We're looking forward to this. All right, uh, Andrew Marsh, an avowed fan of The Bachelor, has provided us, well, maybe not Andrew, okay? I want to go that far. I think it's more of a, hey, I'm in the room when the show is on. <laughs> so by osmosis, you watch yes. The Bachelor. Okay. Yes. When uh, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday is full of sports, you know, sometimes the other days you have to watch something else. Fair Call enough. compromise. Call compromise. I like it. Okay. So there are several ways that we're going to procure the services or the affections yeah, of services, our, Randy. What are we of, doing of here? our backler. Uh, Andrew, tell us what we have to do for our first guy. All right. So we have the first impression game ball. So who from this week kind of stood out to you that you believe deserves this first impression game ball? As I'm looking at the results from this week in the NFL, there are a lot of guys that have caught my eye. But if I'm going to give a game ball to one person based on their performance this week, I'm going Dak Prescott, Mm. who led the Cowboys to a 43-3 victory over the Atlanta Falcons. He was 24 of 31, 296 yards. He played so well, guys. He he sat in the fourth quarter. So uh, I like the overall body of work, and I especially like the performance this past week. So I'm giving my game ball, my first impression game ball, to Dak Prescott. Oh, Michelle. That is fine. You can do that. But I think I've got a better idea for you here. How about my guy, the very hot Jimmy G? <laughs> no, Randy, we're talking about on-field performance. <laughs> I, I'm, well, oh, I'm opening it up wide here to a lot of different things. So Apparently. Jimmy G is going to be my guy. Last night, obviously, uh, only four incompletions on the night. He led his team to uh, an impressive victory over the Rams. And uh, when it needed to happen, with Jimmy G, it happened. So my first impression game ball this week goes to Jimmy Garoppolo, San Francisco 49ers. I should have known that you were going with Jimmy G. He's your guy this week for sure. Hey, uh, Jimmy G knows his way 
are on to the scene with the ladies. <laughs> well, and he beat the Rams, so yeah, I should have guessed that. Because your favorite team is whoever the Rams are playing that yeah. week, and your favorite player is whoever leads said team to beat the Rams. So I'm not surprised Jimmy G got your first impression game ball. All right, so the next one is our one-on-one game ball. Michelle, you have Jalen Hurts. And Randy, you have Kirk Cousins, so now you will assess their performance and decide if they get a game ball this week. All right, Kirk Cousins going to Tinseltown and coming away with a victory. You like that? Kirk was (laughs) 25 of 37 for 294 yards and two touchdowns. He has his team playing well again, and he does it in the second biggest market in America. There is no doubt for me that my... My guy this week is Kirk Cousins. So you are giving a game ball to him in your one-on-one yes. date here? Yeah. Okay. Go for it. Randy does like that. He does. He does like that. Randy is um, you like that? more generous than I expected him to be. I thought you were going to be a little bit more um, stingy. Oh, no. <laughs> Randy's a lover. We're learning this. All right. Not a fighter. Not a fighter. All right, so Michelle, you have Jalen Hurts. Ooh, that's a tough one because Jalen Hurts looked really good in the Eagles' 30-13 win over the Broncos. But did he look that good or were they playing the Broncos? This is the (laughs) million-dollar question here. But he avoided the turnovers. He looked more comfortable in the pocket. It was probably his best game of the season. The thing that I'm looking at when I'm giving out a game ball is, is this going to work out long-term? Yes, you can be impressed or dazzled by what you're seeing in the moment week to week, but is this going to work out long-term? And I'm somebody that's still a believer in Jalen Hurts. I don't think he's a finished product, and not everybody has an immediate rise to success, and not everybody immediately jumps into a position where they're in the right situation or the right franchise or the right offense and ends up being the player right away that they're going to be long-term. So... I still am a little bit of a Jalen Hurts believer, so I'm going to go ahead and give him that game ball. Okay. All right. Awesome. Now we have the group stage. We got these group meetings. We just had our quarterback meetings. Now we have the group meetings, and we're looking at these quarterbacks. Some of them are in here that they're really good, but for some reason, we're looking at passer rating this week, and we have the sixth lowest QB passer rating. Who do we have from you guys? I'll list them off. We have Jared Goff, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, and Derek Carr. Michelle, even though this week wasn't great, I really feel good about the potential of a relationship with Lamar Jackson. 26 of 43, 238 yards. He was sacked four times. He was under some pressure, but... He just seems like a sweet, fun guy. So I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson from my group. He seems like a sweet, fun guy. Yeah. Sweet, fun guy. Yeah. I mean, he does seem nice, but I don't know if that's what we're looking at. Lamar is my group choice. Okay. So that leaves me with Jared Goff, Justin Herbert, Aaron Rodgers, Carson Wentz, and Derek Carr. And sometimes you have to work backwards to forwards. Mm -hmm. So we're cutting Jared Goff. We're cutting Carson Wentz. I'm going to go ahead and cut Derek Carr. You've taken mm-hmm. Lamar off the board, which mm-hmm. leaves me with Justin Herbert or A.A. Ron, Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, whenever you're in a show like this, disease is a possibility. <laughs> I'm just saying. We're talking about on-field stuff, Randy. You're not contracting diseases on the field, right? Again, let's let's rein it in. Let's rein it in, Randy. 
So Aaron Rodgers did not have the game versus Russell Wilson that we expected. He is still an MVP and a Super Bowl champion. And it's really hard to go against Aaron Rodgers. But again, I am picking gentlemen that I want long term. And Mm. Justin Herbert, despite this week's performance in a 27-20 loss at the hands of Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings and a lower passer rating this week, he's the 2020 Offensive Rookie of the Year. I just think that... You know, the situation he was put in last year, he had a coaching staff that was let go. He's still in a in a new-ish situation this season, and I think he's a stud. And so if I am picking someone long-term out of this group, it's going to be Justin Herbert, a Los Angeles Chargers. Okay. All right, Randy, Michelle, now you've chosen each three game balls to give out. Out of all the rest of the quarterbacks... There are eight of them that will be going home this week without a game ball. It is up to you guys to decide who are getting those game balls. Okay. I'm going to go first here. Go ahead. I'm looking at the uh, available quarterbacks left on the board. And the group quarterbacks you can give game balls to as well if they did not get one before. Thank Mm. you for clarifying. I am not going to be that person that lets a known commodity slip away. So I'm going. Give me Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, He's good. giving my getting my first game ball. In okay. the available guys. I thought Michelle that you wanted to build long-term futures with the guys. He's gonna play till he's 50, Randy. We got okay. some time on the clock. Well, I want a guy that's not only talented and a good quarterback, but is cute and smart and funny. I just took Tom Brady. I'm taking Patrick Mahomes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's up, Mahomes? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Game ball. Just so you know, he, that his family comes with him. I hope you like TikTok. Oh, we love it. All right, great. TikTok away. I am, even though there are injuries at play here, I want some electricity with my group. Give me Kyler Murray. Mm, good call. Ooh, that that could be electrifying. That is. You know, that's, that's again, you have to look long-term with these selections, not week to week. I want somebody who can bunker in for the winter with me. I want Josh Allen. Oh, I thought you were going to go Big Ben. Hibernation. Ooh. That guy could pack it away. Yeah, but he, yes, he can. <laughs> Got to be careful, though, with him. <laughs> okay, so you went Josh Allen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sometimes oh, Big Ben so- and bathrooms just don't mix. Randy, no. Okay, so you already took Jimmy G. He's off the list. Mm-hmm. I'm teetering between two players here. And again, I like security in my life. Yes, you do. So give me Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Let Russ cook. I love a nice warm cooked meal. Let Russ cook. Ooh, sounds like a good idea. And I want a little unpredictability out of this. <laughs> You could pick so many people with that line. I do. But I, I want unpredictability, but I want somebody who's going to be able to provide me with that, that electricity that you were looking for with Kyler Murray. I'm going to go with A.A. Ron here. I'm going with Aaron Rodgers. That's a good pick from you. That's a good pick. Okay. You've already taken Lamar. I'm going to choose the guy next who is young. He is spry, and he might just be in the perfect situation for him. I want a guy who I think can thrive based on his surroundings, 
and who has a really good pedigree. Sometimes when you're picking a guy, Randy, pedigree matters. Mm-hmm. Give me Mac Jones, New England Patriots. Ooh, you want Mac Jones? You got Mac Jones. <laughs> okay. Can I go off the board here? Go off the board, Randy. Uh, Michelle, this is reality radio. It is. <laughs> and because it is reality radio, and because I, I like a, a sharp-dressed man, I'm going with Cam Newton here. Ooh. You did. You and Danny Mac were on the group text this weekend, mm-hmm. marveling at Cam Newton's hat selection. Yep. So I'm not surprised by that selection. Okay. Um, I'm looking at my guys and, oh, I just wrote down Cam for me and that was for you. Scratch Mm. that out. He's not on my team. Superman, (laughs) get out of here. You know, these guys that I have, um, I'm looking, we have stability. We have a little bit of, of electricity. We have pedigree here. I want to diversify my portfolio a bit. I need somebody with some swag. I need somebody that I know can bring it. You walk in a room, bam, I'm paying attention. I want Justin Fields, Chicago Bears. Oh, good idea. That... Especially when I know that he's going to be in a better situation next year. Yeah, you think so. You hope so. Yep. Michelle, I want the guy that already has some success. He's got some cachet. He's already got the big house. I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield. He's got a huge house. He really does. Right next door to uh, Music Outlet, too, right? And, you know, when you are picking guys and you're picking houses, having a guy that has unlimited concession stand snacks. Unlimited. Uh, miss, miss, I already chose Mr. Unlimited. Um, that's a good pick from you, Baker. Cross him off the list. Okay. You're up. I'm going to stick... Why do I keep writing down your picks here? I'm going to stick with the swag and stick with the growth opportunity. And I want a guy who is a proven winner at any level. I want a guy that can make even the most difficult situations look easy. And I like a guy sometimes with a cigar. Give me Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals. (laughs) That was going to be my next pick. Ooh, stole him right from underneath you. That's really good. Nice, Nice choice there. And uh, I am going to go with a guy who has leadership ability and who I can look to, to when things are tough, he's going to be able to stabilize the situation. I'm going to go with Derek Carr. He can stabilize the situation. And you know what? I am very pro forgiveness and Derek Carr is that guy. Mm -hmm. He is one of those guys. Another guy who had to forgive a lot this season, namely to his head coach was Trevor Lawrence. Ooh, I yeah. can't believe he's been on the board this long. With that hair. A Disney that flow. Prince, a Disney hello. Prince under center. Trevor Lawrence, hello. Welcome to the squad. Uh so you might have a Disney Prince. I've got Prince Harry. I have Carson Wentz. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> take him. <laughs> I've got a real prince. So there. No disrespect, take him. Um <laughs> All right. So it's getting harder to make the choices as we go, as we go, which is why I'm going with a guy who has moved around a little, but seemingly has found a good home. And he's a guy that gets overlooked when we're looking at guys like Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. He's not in the same conversations as Lamar, but he's effective and and has been consistent since he made his move. I want Ryan Tannehill, Tennessee Titans. Oh, 
Thank you very much for doing that. I want a guy who has moved around and is clearly beloved and serves the underdog role well on my team. I'm taking Taylor Heineke. Good pick. All right, you two. This is the final game balls. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Stress. Okay, you're up, Michelle. I just love that Matthew Stafford is sitting there and neither one of us will take him. Nope. He's going home. <laughs> He's going. Okay, so do I choose with my head or my heart here? This is what you have to do when giving out game balls. When the pressure is on, I'm in the ball gown. I'm looking at these guys. Head or my heart? Because my heart wants me to select a guy who I think has been unfairly maligned at times, but may wear the colors that I cheer for. Or do I want a guy who's been in a bad situation that I know has had success in the past? Is it is it the proven commodity in a bad spot or someone who has potential? And this may surprise you guys, but I'm going to go with Matty Ice. I want Matt Ryan, Atlanta Falcons. Okay. And Michelle, when I get together with my backler, I want to be taken for a nice seafood dinner now and then. <laughs> So I'm going to go with Jameis Winston. I knew you were going there. I knew you were going Publix crab legs. I knew it. Well, I know you so well. All right. So there we go. So uh, this is uh, round one. So this means, by the way, that those quarterbacks that are going home include Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, Teddy Bridgewater, Daniel Jones, Big Ben, Sam Darnold, Tyrod Taylor, Trevor Simeon, Tua. Dad. That's who I was debating between, Matt Ryan or Tua. Yeah. And then Zach Wilson. So those guys are going home. And I guess Mike White from the Jets, too. But thank you for the—I'm so excited we could share this journey yeah. together. Thank you, you for uh, taking the time to come out to the mansion. It was great. Yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> Safe we're travels off home. Off You'll find the right person for you to give you the game ball. So we'll have this again next Tuesday here on 101 ESPN. Thank you, Chris Harrison. The, the backler. Great job by Chris Harrison slash Andrew Marsh. Well, thank you. (laughs) This is fun. Next up, take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. Which QB will roll out of the pocket and into the hearts of Randy and Michelle? Find out next week on The Backler. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. We'll take your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for Take It or Leave It. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, Andrew Marsh. And Michelle, last night in Columbia, Kansas City, former UMKC, uh, they took care of Mizzou 80-66. to 66. It was a 32-23 lead for Kansas City at halftime. This is year number five at Mizzou for Conzo Martin. Take It or Leave It, you're confident that he can be the answer to Mizzou getting to a Final Four. Ooh, that's a really tough one because I think he's a really good coach. Great guy, too. But it's hard to build a program. Um, great guy, too, right? I think a lot 
of this goes back to Michael Porter Jr. Because you get Michael Porter Jr., he's healthy, he's what you think he is. That changes the entire dynamics of your program. And you know what? I'm going to take it. I'm still a Conzo believer. I'm still a Conzo believer. And I think that he... Well, and again, it's all about expectations. What do you think is good enough for a Mizzou basketball program? Do, are you, we talking national championship? Because that's really hard to do. Are we talking Final Four? Are we talking Sweet 16? Are we talking competitive in the SEC year in and year out? What are the expectations that we're talking about? First trip to the Final Four at some point in his coaching career. I think he's capable of that. I'm going to leave it. Five years in now. And granted, he's had a lot of bad luck. Mm -hmm. But the recruiting pipeline, uh, it's reopened a little bit here in the last week or so. He got a top, top 40 player in the country. First one that he's gotten, though, first top 40 guy that he's gotten since Porter Jr. That's just, he's got to open up that spigot at some point and start getting talent in there. Mm -hmm. So, Randy, I don't know if you've heard, but the 49ers beat the Rams 31-10 to 10 on Monday Night Football. I've heard that, and I'm happy about it. Are you? Yeah. You, oh, here. Yeah. I thought you had something. Rams lost. They did. Take it or leave it. Sean McVay's overrated. Oh, totally take it. Overrated. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, yeah, he went to a Super Bowl. He got thoroughly outcoached by Belichick. And they really have not been the same since. And last night, when you think about a blueprint to beat the Rams... They showed it last night with Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. Yeah, he, he can be outcoached. I'm not suggesting that he's a bad coach by any no. means, but I think that his abilities and what he was got so conflated because he had such early success and he was young and he was energetic and he was this wonderkind. Mm -hmm. And his reputation outgrew what he actually has done. Right. I mean, they were hiring anyone that had any affiliation with him. I'm pretty sure his landscaper got a job somewhere, you know? And when that happens early on in your career, everyone expects you to be Bill Belichick. Or they expect you to even be Mike Tomlin or John Harbaugh. And he has proven that he's not that guy yet. you got to win a Super Bowl. You definitely with, do. With that sort of a reputation, you got to win a Super Bowl. All right, your tech 65780. Andrew, what do you got for us? Well, Randy, you seem to be really big on Cam Newton. Cam's my guy this morning, yeah. Yeah. Can he lead the Panthers to a wild card spot this season? Guys, I'm going to take this, and I, I I looked yesterday, and I shocked myself by saying, yeah, this can happen right now. The Panthers are in that final playoff spot in the NFC. Uh, Let me you've look got, at their remaining schedule. You've got Packers, Cardinals, Ooh. Cowboys, Rams, Bucks, Saints, and the Panthers are the number seven seed right now, ahead of Minnesota, San Francisco, Atlanta, and Philly. And you give me an ooh. Remaining schedule. Washington football team. Cam. Dolphins. Win. win. Falcons. Win. Close it out with this stretch. At the Bills versus the Bucks. At the Saints. At the Bucks. So you go two and two in the last four. I don't know. That so could be a clean sweep. You wind up. Uh, they aren't going to win all four. No, I'm saying it could be a clean sweep of them. Oh, no, 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 no. They'll go two and two in that. So they'll they'll wind up with a, uh, what, ten and, they'll wind up ten and seven. I don't know, Randy. You think they can beat the Bucks? Do you, once, you, once they can beat the Bucks. Okay, you think that right now you would pick them to beat the the Bills? I don't think so. But you the, think they can handle the Saints? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. But I don't know. I especially down the stretch there, I have more confidence in Brady. 
Yeah, I, I just think that it's hard to beat a team twice if you're both pretty good. And Matt Rule is a pretty good coach, mm-hmm. by the way. He's kind of, he's the anti-McVay. All right, take it or leave it. Matt Carpenter, David Freeze, and Matt Holiday will all be Cardinal Hall of Famers. Take it. Matt Carpenter, David Freeze, and who was the other one? Matt Holiday. Matt, Matt Holiday. Take it. Done. All, all three for sure. The only question I think would be for some people is Matt Carpenter, and I think he's in. I do too. All right, take it or leave it. We talked about Adam Wainwright being at the dunk booth yesterday. If you see Wayno walk up to you at a carnival dunking booth, are you just jumping in the water? Yeah, I'll take that. Immediately? Yeah, you just you fall in because he's going to get you either way. I'm going to leave that because I want the privilege of having that seat fall from underneath <laughs> me after Adam Wainwright nails the target. That's a story I'm going to tell forever. I'm going to be the clown that said Adam Wainwright walked up. He had one ball, threw it, boom, I was in the water. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis, where you'll find incredible value on the ultimate driving machine. It is time for... You're killing me, Smalls. So this is a headline that could really be plugged in any year for the past, I don't know, maybe 10 years. The Jets are a mess, Randy. The Jets are an absolute mess. Yeah, dumpster fire, as it were. Yeah, for sure. So after their uh, 45-17 to loss at the hands of the Buffalo Bills, the Jets fall to 2-7. and Former New York Jets head coach and now ESPN NFL personality, NFL analyst Rex Ryan was on ESPN New York with DiPietro and Rothenberg, and he was asked about the job that Jets head coach Robert Sala is doing. And Rex Ryan did not hold back, Randy. Here's what he had to say this is a horrendous defense you know now they're going to use well we never had our safety so what everybody has a million injuries let alone a above average safety you're missing i remember playing without five corners it never looked like this i think we were fifth in the league that year in defense this guy's supposed to be a defensive guru i heard everything and i take it personal on this one everything i heard about was well this guy's a lot like a lot like myself but without the the bad part yeah well some of the bad part you need because this team doesn't play with any any damn heart. I mean, that, that's the thing that's disappointing to me. And don't ever compare this guy to me, this Robert Sala to me. Because statistically, one time they were like a top defense. All right? Four out, here's one thing they're going to be familiar with. Four out of five years, the 49ers were dead last in their division. So he's going to be dead last again. So he's used to that. So to me, I'm a little pissed off about it when, when I hear that this guy, you know, his background's a lot, lot like yours. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I love it. And he's not wrong. I, I, I grant you that they don't have much talent. But I do think that defensively, as a defensive coordinator, defensive mind, Rex Ryan probably isn't appreciated as much as he should have been. Especially during his tenure with the Jets. Yeah. So Damian Woody, another ESPN NFL analyst, basically said the same thing Rex Ryan said. But on Twitter, this was over the weekend. He said, I have so many people... Excuse me, I have so many questions for Robert Sala and the Jets as a whole. My God, man, people clown Urban Meyer, but I see way more fight from Jacksonville. There is absolutely no pulse on the defensive side, and that's your area of expertise? Come on, dog. 
So it's not it's not just Rex Ryan that's saying this. A lot of other people have been having the same observations about the Jets. At the moment, if the draft were held today, the Jets would have the fourth pick in the draft, and they have allowed 296 points this season, Michelle. And the only teams in the league that have allowed, well, there are no teams in the league that have allowed more than 296 points. They've allowed more than anybody, and done so, by the way, by 33 points. The Falcons have allowed 263. They're the second most points allowed in the league to the Jets. Dang. Well, Robert Sala was asked about this, by the way, of course, because this Mm -hmm. is what happens. He was on the Michael K. Show on ESPN, and he was asked about Rex Ryan and the criticism that he levied against him. He says he doesn't know Rex Ryan. He's never met him. And then he adds, obviously, if it's that personal for him, he knows where to find me. They asked him if he was surprised by the comments, and he said, no, I'm not surprised by him. He's always got something to say. Yeah, Rex is a blowhard, but at least he does have an idea as to how to build a defense. And... I, I don't see how those facts... Now, he could be upset with the comment, don't compare this guy to me, but the facts are the facts. When you finish in last place a lot and you have a defense toward the bottom of the league a lot, that is what it is. And how many Jets fans are looking at the Rex Ryan era where he was there for six seasons and he went 46 and 50 and saying, we wish we could go back yeah. to the Rex Ryan era. Absolutely. And it's New York and there was a lot happening there. Mark Sanchez, the, the tattoo, the feet stuff. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of stuff in the headlines surrounding Rex Ryan that were outside of football, but that was a much more palatable brand of football than what they're seeing sure right was. now. Definitely. You're killing me, Smalls. So the Manning cast is one of the new exciting things to hit the media landscape this season, but it's come with a bit of controversy, and I'm talking about the Manning cast curse. So every player who has been on the Manning cast has gone on to lose the following week. Josh Allen was the most recent victim. After he was on the Manning cast with Peyton and Eli Manning, the Bills fell to the Jaguars. Now, they obviously bounced back and beat the Jets 45-17 to this past week, but Phil Mickelson was on with Peyton and Eli last night, Randy, during the 49ers beatdown of the Rams on Monday Night Football. And Payne and Eli asked Phil if he could defend them a little <laughs> bit with this Manning cast curse. And here's what he had to say. There's a little thing kind of going around. People are talking about this thing called the Manning curse, where apparently if you come on this show, if you're an active football player, the next week you lose the game. And I, I, can you kind of just do us a favor and tell people that there's no such thing as a curse, that that's not a real thing? No, I, I believe that it is a thing, and that's why I'm not playing next week. I didn't know if it would carry over into golf or not. I, I, I think it's real. And uh, so I think it's important that you oh, get God. people that are here on your on your Manny cast the week before a bye. That, that's probably the best way to do it. Either the week before a bye or, or a week before they play the Colts, Broncos, or Giants, right? That would be the second option. Yeah, fair. fair. <laughs> Phil Mickelson not playing around. He's, he's like, I'm sorry, guys, love you. Not going to defend you here. I'm not playing next week because I don't know if this is going to translate. And did you see the Pat McAfee tweet? He said, Phil Mickelson gets the assignment. He does. He does. He's so entertaining. He he's so fun. great. You're killing me, Small. And finally, Randy, this a little bit of information I thought you might like to know, especially with Thanksgiving around the corner. Hershey's has unveiled a new dessert. It's a giant nine-inch Reese's Thanksgiving pie. It's the largest peanut butter cup they've ever had. It weighs in at 3.25 pounds of peanut butter and chocolate. It's meant to be served in 48 small slices. It's only 160 calories each if you go it that way. Mm-hmm. Or if you go the Randy Carricker route and likely eat the entire thing, it's mm-hmm. 7,680. 
80 calories wow. if you eat the whole thing yourself. There's only 3,000 pies available. They're going to be sold online. $44.99 plus tax while supplies last. Would you purchase this? I would have. They sold them out in less than an hour. I'm not surprised. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's I, I got on the Insta last night and had to use my cry emoji. <laughs> No. I saw that and I go, did Randy buy one of these? No, I, he... I didn't even know about him. If I would have known, I would have been in on that early. I, I might have taken the day off yesterday so that I could get in on it early. You would have bought stock in that early. Yeah. Now, would you eat all 48 slices and 7,680 calories in one sitting? Not one sitting, but maybe one day. I have no doubt that you could take that entire thing oh, down. There's no doubt about it. Come on. That's child's play, Michelle. <laughs> Please, that's that's amateur hour for you. <laughs> it is. Thank you, Michelle. You got it. And by the way, Rex Ryan was wrong about this. Robert Sala's defense last year in San Francisco, fifth in the league. The Super Bowl year, they were second. The year before that, they were 13th. So he's actually been better than Rex Ryan gave him credit for being in San Francisco. But Rex, he's just saying stuff. He's, he doesn't need facts. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got an early edition of The Fight here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. It's Carragher and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 8.05 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And we have an early edition of the fight today because we are loaded with guests in the 8 o'clock hour. We're going to be joined by Darren Pang at 8.30 and Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe, who has a great new book coming out at 8.45. But Jonathan was kind enough to join us early for the fight today. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Are you ready to take on Randy Carragher in a sports trivia competition? Yes, I am. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Question number one for you, Jonathan. Which Cardinal hit four home runs in one game? Was it Mark Witten, Stan Musial, or Keith Hernandez? Hard hitting Mark Witten. <laughs> Question number two. In a 1967 game, what longtime Cardinals kicker set a pair of NFL records by attempting nine field goals and making seven of them? You want to give him the options? I do want to give you the <laughs> options. So we have Steve Little, Pat Summerall, or Jim Bakken. Jim Bakken. Question number three, Jonathan. What Blues winger got hit with 57 minutes in penalties in just one period of a 2002 game against Calgary? Is it Dallas Drake, Reed Lowe, or Jamal Mayers? Reed Lowe. Question number four. Everyone knows Mark McGuire hit home run number 62 off of Steve Traxel of the Cubs. Who did he hit number 61 off of? Was it Mike Morgan, Alan Watson, or Jeff Shaw? Mike Morgan. Ooh, Jonathan. We're checking our score here. He is not messing around today. Randy's on his phone. I wonder if he's tweeting, trying to get his attention. Randy, hello. Hang on one second. Okay. Andrew, you want to go out there and grab him? I'm going to go grab Randy. He, he is, is dialed in. in. Buried in his phone. He's we trying find to find the emojis. Doing. That's true. Jonathan, how do you feel about your performance in the fight this morning? I feel pretty confident on a couple of them. A couple of my guests. We'll see. Which one did you guess on? Uh, the hockey one. Mm, okay. 
Randy hustling in. Randy, you were buried in your phone. We could not get your attention. What were you up to out there? So there's a, a fox in my garage at home. <laughs> a fox? Yeah, a fox broke into our garage, tried to go into the laundry room when Joan opened the door. And so she sent me a picture of it, and I'm trying to see it, but it's just, she called Critter Control a fox in the garage at the character household. How did a fox break into your garage? I guess we didn't have a hen house, so it just decided to move into the garage. A little B&E from a fox this morning. Who knew? Yeah, no, no doubt. Wow. Crazy. Wild times at the character household. Yeah. Well, hopefully it gets out. Hopefully they can get it yeah, out. Yeah, really. It's Jeez. on a shelf somewhere. Jeez. Uh, Randy, please say good morning to Jonathan, your competitor today. Jonathan, good morning. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing, Randy? Good. good Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Ready, Randy? Ready. Question number one, which Cardinal hit four home runs in one game? That would be hard-hitting Mark Whitten <laughs> in uh, 1993 at Cincinnati. Five in a doubleheader. Randy, question number two, in a 1967 game, what longtime Cardinals kicker set a pair of NFL records by attempting nine field goals and making seven of them? I am going to go with Jim Bakken, number 25. Question number three, Randy. What Blues winger got hit with 57 minutes and penalties in just one period of a 2002 game against Calgary? I think that was our friend number 34, Reed Lowe. Lowe <laughs> All right, Randy. Everyone knows Mark McGuire hit home run number 62 off Steve Traxel of the Cubs. Who did he hit number 61 off of? 61. Okay, I think I know this. It was Labor Day. <laughs> I do know that. Were you enjoying a barbecue? I was at the game. Okay, great. Day game. I was mm -hmm. sitting in the booth. Uh, I will do the lifeline just to make sure, though. All right, we have Mike Morgan. There you Alan. go, Mike Morgan. Okay. Gentlemen, we have a tie mm. between Jonathan and Randy. They both got all four correct. Both of you guys are on fire this morning. How about that? Which means that we are going to the tiebreaker round. Here's how this is going to work, Jonathan. I'm going to read the question. Randy's going to write his answer down on a sheet of paper. We're going to give you first crack at it. Randy's holding up a sheet of paper triumphantly. Mm -hmm. And we're going to give you about 10 seconds to give us your answer. Randy will reveal to everyone what he has written down. Andrew and I are going to keep a close eye on him to make sure that he's writing it down in real time. And first to get it correct or closest to the pin wins. Are you ready, Jonathan? Yes. Are you ready, Randy? I'm ready. All right, guys. Here is your tiebreaker question. How many holes in one have there been at the Masters Tournament since, since its inception in 1934? How many holes in one have there been at the Masters since its inception in 1934? Okay. So, uh, hold on here. Let me just do some math. Um... Uh, no, I'm not going to use that one. I'm going to use a different number. Jonathan, whenever you're ready. Okay, I'll say 120. Jonathan says 120. Randy says? 174. 174. Whew. Close fight. But who won? Andrew, ring the bell. The winner and new champion of the fight, yes. Average Joe Listener. Brought to you by Optical Expressions, providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. I heard you celebrating a little bit there, Jonathan. Congratulations. You were closer Thank to you. the pin. You defeated Randy, and you are a champion today. Oh, very nice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, let's run it back to the top. 
It was hard-hitting Mark Witten. Both of you described him that way with his nickname there, who hit four home runs in just one game. It was Jim Bakken, the longtime Cardinals kicker, who set a pair of NFL records by attempting nine field goals and making seven back in 1967. It was our guy Reed Lowe. Losey got hit with 57 minutes and penalties in just one period of a 2002 game against Calgary. And Mark McGuire hit home run, home run number 62 off Steve Traxel of the Cubs. He hit number 61 off of Mike Morgan. Tiebreaker question. How many holes in one have there been at the Masters since its inception in 1934? Jonathan guessed 120. Randy guessed 174. The correct answer, guys, is only 31. Wow. That's surprising. Only 31. That's right. It's it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. So, Jonathan, this means that you are going to join us again tomorrow, and you're one step closer to the Hall of Fame, so we'll talk to you then. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to have you with us, Jonathan. And thanks for listening to 101 ESPN. Coming up here with Carriker and Smallman, where it's 812, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. You won't believe how much colleges are paying coaches that they have fired. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. Michelle, we're hearing a lot of hot seat activity for college football coaches. Dan Mullen suffered, well, didn't suffer. They, they had a, a bad, you can't have a, a bad win, can you? He said there's no such thing as a bad win. They beat Samford over the weekend, 70-52. to 52. They allowed 42 points in the first half to FCA Samford. And the Gators, who, by the way, come to Mizzou this weekend, are 5-5. Five and five. And then you had the Steve Sarkeesian Texas loss to to, uh, to Kansas over the weekend. But I saw an interesting piece in which it was put together. A, a list of college coaches over the last 11 years are making more than $400 million to not coach. Dead money with college coaches is at $402.3 million over the last 11 years because of moves like what we're talking about with the coaches' hot seat. I saw ESPN did a piece similar last week, and that number just continues to rise. And it's really outrageous when you think about it because you would think that these programs and these universities would give their investments more time to grow. Mm -hmm. It seems as if they go out, they acquire a coach that they think can come in and turn their program around, but then they don't give them the time needed to actually build a program. Like, if Gary Pinkle got brought into Mizzou now, would he be given the same runway that he was given when he first started at Mizzou to build what he ultimately built there? Likely no, because he didn't have immediate success right away. And granted, now Mizzou's in the SEC, so the expectations are a little different. But it's just so mind-blowing to me, Randy, that if you don't have success in the first two seasons and you head into year three, which is sometimes the first year that you have your recruiting class and your guys all together working in the scheme that you planned and everything kind of coming together if you don't have what is deemed to be the appropriate amount of success by that time the plug is pulled on you and it doesn't matter how much money the university has spent getting you there it's like their their faith in you and all the things that they thought about you when they went out and acquired you as the head coach all goes out the window and there is no 
grace period for even guys that have won, that have one bad year. Coach Bielma, perfect situation. Yeah. He, he had he, Arkansas on the rise, and Arkansas, and I think they're one of the programs in college football that really doesn't have much self-awareness. They don't understand what they are. They think they should be Alabama, but they're never going to be. But they get rid of a guy after one bad year. You look at Florida, Jim McElwain was at Florida for three years. He goes 10-4. and four. He's in the SEC championship game, goes nine and four. And then the third year, after a three and four start, they fire him. Now Mullen has gone 10 and three, 11 and two, eight and four, five and five, and the fans want him out. The fact that Texas is already talking about Steve Sarkeesian 10 games into his first season, that's just ridiculous. Not only do you not get the opportunity, but the next guy would think is going to look, even with all the money that's available to the next guy, Mm -hmm. he's going to say, why should I bother with that when I'm only going to get two years? But they're absolutely going to jump at the opportunity because even if they get fired, they still have a lot of money in the bank. And, you know, you have a lot of pressure for a few years. Even if you don't win, it's a very lucrative job, even if you get fired. But I want to touch on something you said about self-awareness. I think that this is the problem that has infected college athletics, specifically college football, is that programs do not have self-awareness. Everybody assumes that they're going to hire somebody and that they're going to be Alabama. And you're not going to be Alabama. The expectations that you should have for your football program vary based on what your program has been, where it's at, and what the circumstances are surrounding the program. Like I look at Illinois, for example, and a lot of people thought Lovey Smith was going to be the guy at Illinois, but I think he completed the assignment. Mm-hmm. The assignment for Lovey Smith was not to make Illinois a national champion because it's going to take a long time to build up a program like that. It's to make the program better what it, than what you found it at, and that's exactly what Whoa. he did. He, he took a program that had sunk to great depths, under Tim Beckman, and he put it in a better position. But everybody thinks if we don't win a national championship or if we're not in the playoff, it's a failure. And I understand you play to win the game and that with a lot of boosters and alumni and a lot of money at stake, that's what the ultimate goal always should be. But that doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. You look at a school like Auburn, and we, everybody, every booster, you're correct 100%. Every booster, especially in the SEC, every big money booster, thinks that their program can be as consistent as Alabama. But this is where you run into a problem. Gene Chizik wins a championship in 2010 at Auburn. Three years later, he doesn't have a job. He has two more seasons and then he's out. Gus Malzahn wins the championship in 2013. And then he goes eight and five, seven and six, eight and five, 10 and four, eight and five, nine and four. Pretty good run there Uh with Alabama. And he's out and he gets fired. LSU, Les Miles wins a championship. He goes something like 121 and 34, but he gets off to a bad start. And granted, there were some behind the scenes things that ultimately came out about Les Miles, but he gets whacked. Then you have uh, Ed Orgeron. Orgeron. And two years after he wins a championship, he's out. There's only one team. And look at where Clemson is this year. There's only one team that's a consistent threat to be in that final four. And that's Alabama. And when I talk about self-awareness, you have to be aware that there is only one Nick Saban. There is only one Alabama. And winning championships and winning nine and ten games a year is not a bad thing. It shouldn't be a fireable offense that you can't be what Nick Saban has built.
but it is. And that's why yeah. you have hundreds of millions of dollars in dead money from all of these coaches that have been cycled through college football. They get chewed up and spat out yep. in a matter of years. And I wonder when universities and these programs or athletic directors are going to say, here's what we're going to do. We are going to acquire a coach and we're going to let him build. We're going to just let him build. I'm going to protect him from all the outside noise. I'm going to protect him from the boards and the boosters and all this stuff. And I'm going to give him a good five years to do something. I'm going to let him get his players in here and then give him a few years to figure it out. If after five years he can't do it, we'll have that conversation. That's what Eli Drinkwitz needs at Mizzou. Correct. He needs, because the cupboard was left bare by Barry Odom. And he needs to not only replace the players that Barry Odom had, he need he needs those players to be out of there because there just wasn't and isn't much talent. And you need to have your first group of seniors have an opportunity to play. And I'm just stunned that 112 coaches in college sports over the last 11 years, 112 coaches are being paid more than a million dollars to not work. Michelle, we always talk off the air. We, we joke. We say we need one bad contract. That's all we need because uh, there's a lot of people out there that get paid millions of dollars to do a show. It gets canceled after six months, and they get that cash. It's the same in college football. Yeah. Are, are you uh, – we look at the SEC, and we look at some of the, the idiocy. Have you been bothered by any of the coaching fires at Illinois? And by the way, no. I think it should be different for public schools, by the way, even though it's boosters that are paying for it. I, I think if, if – at any level, the, a public school is providing any input to an athletic department. I think that they should there should be a minimum that you should honor that contract for a certain amount of, amount of time. But are, Illinois specifically, are you talking about Lovey specifically? Yeah. No, I thought that Lovey was a good coach, and I thought he did the job when he was at Illinois. But I think that he took the program to the place where it needed to go, and. I respect Josh Whitman and the athletic department for saying we think that we can be better than this because, and and again, I'm kind of contradicting myself and saying have some self-awareness, but I look at Illinois and I say there is no reason why you should not be competitive or in the top tier of the Big Ten year in and year out. Am I demanding a national championship? No. Would I take it? You betcha. But Illinois is a program that has great facilities. They, It's a great school. And more importantly, it, Chicago is there. You should be able to recruit Chicago, especially with the NIL stuff that's happening yep. right now. You should be able to use Chicago to your advantage to get top-tier talent. If you lock down the borders of Illinois, there's no reason why Illinois should not be a program that, that at least makes some noise in the Big Ten. And I think with Lovey, he's he was an NFL coach for a long time. It's different when you come to college football and you have to do the grind of recruiting. We talked to Coach Bielma. Mm-hmm. They have a huge upset when over Penn State, and the first thing he's doing is contacting recruits. It's a never-ending grind. It's a completely different animal than the NFL. And I think with Lovey, you just realize that at some point he he did his job, and let's find somebody who can take it to the next tier. But what is that next tier? And that's what I think a lot of programs don't understand. And there's really only one exception, Randy, for me when we talk about this, because I think the, the Nebraskas of the world or – I'm trying to think of the UCLA's of the world. Even I'll put USC in this category. Just because you had success in the past does not mean it's going to translate to the future. But there is one program that has zero excuses other than excuse, uh, other than 
and issues of their own making, and that's Texas. Texas yeah. has every resource possible. There is no excuse for Texas being the mess that it is this past these past few years, except for the fact that there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Right. <laughs> they have inflicted their own wounds. And when you look at the talent in the state of Texas, the resources that they have, there's no reason why Texas should not be in the playoff or at least a top-tier program in and this they, country. They paid Charlie Strong $11.8 million. They gave Tom Herman more than $10 million. Even just this week, yesterday, Butch Davis gets fired at Florida International. Florida International! And he gets a $2.7 million buyout at Jeez. FIU. Jimmy Lake, 13 games into his career as the head coach at Washington. And remember, his first year was the COVID year. And he's 13 games in, and he's getting $9.9 million. Uh, he, he went uh, four and six this year. Last year, they only played four games. So he's 14 games into his stint, and he gets fired. But they're going to give him $9.9 million to walk away. That's ridiculous. But it's telling about where we are in, in college football. I think Jim Harbaugh is an interesting case study, too, mm-hmm. because his record at Michigan is successful. He's had a, a great run there. Yep. He's had a great winning percentage, but because he hasn't won a national championship or been in the playoffs, hasn't beaten Ohio State or beaten Ohio State, it, he is viewed as kind of a failure there. But that's where I think Michigan needs to really decide what are we and what do we want to be? And are you going to find someone better than Jim Harbaugh to take you to that next level? Do you really think that you can be Alabama? And that's why our friend Dan Deerdorf, he gets it. He says 10 and 3, 10 and 3, 8 and 5, 10 and 3, 9 and 4. Last year, COVID year, 2 and 4, and now 9 and 1. Nothing wrong with doing that every year. That's pretty darn good. Oh my God, Illinois would kill for that. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, it's uh, Mizzou would. I think they literally have built a statue <laughs> for stuff that's not that good. So it's just crazy to me. And I. I would hope, and I know we hate the idea of governments getting involved with sports, but I think with public money that is spent, if it's not booster money, then there should be some sort of a prerequisite to, okay, if you're going to sign a guy to a four-year contract or five-year or six-year contract, he's got to stick around for four. Yeah, some sort of caveat or clause in the contract. But this is all, again, Nick Saban residue. It is. Because of the dominance of Alabama and because of the greatest coach we've seen in college football, this is what has happened. This is how the sport has transformed. If you can't match this level, which is completely unrealistic to ask for, by the way, but it's if you can't get to Alabama or even a Clemson, you know, we'll throw Clemson in the Mm -hmm. mix there, maybe even a, a Georgia. If you can't get to that level, which, by the way, there's only three or four programs in the country that have been able to do that, and only one that's been able to sustain it for that long, then you're going to get fired. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We've got some interviews coming up in the next three segments. Darren Pang, Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe, and Mike Claiborne. Panger is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Carriker and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues Booth. The Blues Booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has three convenient locations, Manchester, Crestwood, or St. Peter. Or visit online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Let's head to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. And our friend Darren Pang joins us. Panger and John Kelly will have the call for the Blues and the Coyotes tonight at Enterprise Center. 6.30 pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff. Panger, good morning. How are you doing? 
I'm doing great, Randy and Michelle. How are you guys doing this morning? Everything's good. How excited are you about seeing Scott Perunovich in an NHL regular season game? Yeah, this has been a neat year, you know, seeing guys play their, their first NHL games, starting with Jake Neighbors, and, and then we saw Joel Hofer, and, and, and now uh, Scott Perunovich. And you know what, Randy, I, I think the, you know, the um, gradual evolution of a player is kind of what we're seeing right here. We saw, a, you know, a highly touted Hobie Baker Award winner. We saw a guy that uh, we knew was a smaller guy, but he could move the puck. And then, then we had a halt in it last year with everything going on and the injury that he had uh, and the decision basically to take the year off and rehab it. And then to come back into training camp at uh, Traverse City, Randy, he was terrific in Traverse City. Then he comes here and he's good in camp. And uh, <clears throat> But I think the Blues did the right thing. Get him down to the American Hockey League. Get him... You know, basically, uh, you know, see where he's at there. I think I think you should go down to the American Hockey League and 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 you should dominate there. So he's done that, and uh, and now he's got an opportunity to be here with the St. Louis Blues. So I'm I'm really excited about that. I'm also excited about the fact that, you know, it it looks like some players are are closer uh, to playing. So I'm not sure what game it's going to be, but I think that uh, like a guy like Oscar Sundquist is knocking on the door now and and uh, close to returning. So. Um, that's also great news. So for as many negatives as the Blues had with those late goals against, I think there's some positives here coming in. Absolutely, Panger. I want to circle back to Perunovic for a second. From a skill set standpoint, how do you think that he can impact this Blues team? Yeah, well, you know, he's he's a, he's a good puck mover. He's a good skater. Um, you know, he's not, obviously not the biggest guy in the world. So you know that the... Uh, the, the opposition, you know, Arizona or any team that the Blues play, they're, they're going to want to force him into his own zone and and uh, and keep him there. But I think he's, I think Michelle, what you're going to see is an intelligent player that once he gets the puck in his own zone, that he makes good decisions getting it out. So he makes he makes that good first pass, or he's going to skate the puck out. So um, it's it'll be interesting to see when Tory Krug returns as well, because you've got two. You know, not I'm not going to say similar because Scott Prunovich has got a lot to prove before we put him in Tory Krug's category with how long Tory's been successful in the NHL. But you know, they they do have some similarities in their game. Panger, a couple of really entertaining games against really good teams this weekend, and the Blues dropped both on late goals. What do the Blues need to do to win games like that? Uh, they, they need to make the last save. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's. You know, there's there's a couple of bad bad habits that I think kind of crept in there. Um, the game against um, Edmonton, it's easy to say this, but I didn't think our forwards tightened the gap well enough, especially when McDavid or Dreisaitl are, were on the ice. And this doesn't just mean the guys that are going up against them. I mean, we've, we often highlight, okay, against this centerman, which the last game we said that, Craig Berube at even strength will probably play Ryan O'Reilly up against Dreisaitl. That's a good matchup. And probably Robert Thomas with his skating ability up against Connor McDavid. But all that being said, when those guys are on the ice, everybody's got to come back hard. So I didn't think that there was enough urgency and, and uh, defending mentality uh, late in the games on, on either side of them. You can't just hope or wish or think that your goalie's going to make the save. There's a lot of scoring chances like like Kyler uh, Yamamoto's that end up being hard chances to stop. So it, it seemed to me like the guys were just like, oh, well, he'll shoot the puck. Our goalie will stop it, and then we'll go the other way. So I think that's one important thing to learn and, and going forward is that the, the horn hadn't sound yet, so play to the very end and play hard against the other team's players, no matter who they are, to the very end. 
Panger, a lot of conversation recently about Scandella and Pareko. When you look at that pairing, why do you think it hasn't really worked the way people expected it to? Well, I, I think it has worked at some times. Uh, there's been great moments, Michelle, with, with, with the two, and then and then there's you know there's been some moments where you go oh boy they're they're a little off it and when that's happened I think Mike Van Ryan who runs the D has done a really good job of identifying that and like that's why Cal Rosen you know ended up playing 21 minutes one game you know 22 minutes the other the next game is because he thought there was something better there than how Scandella was playing but you know it, it's not just Marco um, and and how he plays with with for me with Pareko. It's also it's also Colt's game as well, um, moving up the ice and closing gaps and playing harder d- defensively. Um, but it's it's something quite apparent that that's going to need some looking at. Um, and you know whether it's you know whether they break things up with you know when Krug comes back and Krug and Falk have been so good. Um, or does Perunovic get an opportunity there, or does Jake Wallman get an opportunity there um, in certain parts of the game? Uh, you know, I'm sure they're trying to figure that out right now. But the number one thing is people assume that Marco Scandella is going to replace Jay Bolmeister, and that's not going to happen. Jay Bolmeister is as close to a Hall of Fame defenseman and a defender the way he skates, and you know he really brought out the best in Colt Pareko. And there's just some times where we assume that's the same pairing, but you know it's just not. In all fairness to Marco Scandell, it's 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 not the same pairing. Hey, Panger, one more thing from me, and that's in regard to the level of consistent success the Blues have had. I look at a team that's coming in tonight, Arizona, 0-9-1 on the road. They're 1-13-1 overall. The last team we saw, Edmonton, look at all the number one overall picks and top ten picks they've had. We've really been fortunate to watch the journeys of seasons that we've had here in St. Louis. Yes, we've only got one Stanley Cup championship out of it, but there's a lot of franchises, a lot of fan bases that would love to have seen what we've seen over the last 11 or 12 years. Yeah, well, Randy, you're exactly right. And I think from a, you know, from a broadcaster standpoint, you can ask any one of us that have been here. It's my 13th season. And, um, I mean, I thank my lucky stars to be able to go to a rink every night in front of a capacity crowd an energetic crowd they love the game of hockey and to have a you know a general manager and a amateur scouting staff pro scouting staff you name it that have put together this team because you know I look around at my other fellow broadcasters and Tyson Nash comes to town tonight with Arizona and I think to myself every night that's a real challenge (laughs) I mean so yes we are very very lucky and it, it goes to show you too that it doesn't always have to be high draft picks that that create a winning culture and environment I mean Look at, I mean, a guy like, what, Jordan Cairo was at 33rd or 34th overall, and, you know, Robert Thomas goes 20th overall, and, you know, and, and you know, you, you get your third and your fourth round picks. You, you make good trades to get players like Braden Shannon, Ryan O'Reilly, and now Bushnevich, and, and Brandon Sod as a UFA. I mean, it just keeps going and going. So the window continues to be there for the St. Louis Blues to win. And I think that's an extraordinary job by Doug Armstrong. Panger, will be tuned in tonight. Thanks so much for the time. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you, guys. Have a great morning. You too. That is Darren Pang, Blues Analyst on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Boston Globe columnist Dan Shaughnessy has a new book out about the NBA of the 70s and 80s. And we're going to talk about that with him next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Character, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. 
Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe covered the Celtics and the Red Sox for a long time before becoming that newspaper's columnist. And he has a new book out. It's called Wish It Lasted Forever, released nationally today. And Dan joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Mr. Shaughnessy, always good to talk to you here in St. Louis. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Good. And, and I love the concept of your book about how teams could be so fun to cover and teams were so transparent in the 70s and 80s. It's different now, but you focus on the good times in covering uh, specifically the Celtics of the, of the 70s and the, the Larry Bird 80s. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, nobody's fault. Things evolved now, but it struck me during the pandemic just how different things have gotten with the NBA, the way they play, and, of course, the access that, that we in the media have to, to tell the fans about them. I mean, it's just changed so much. And during the pandemic, you know, we were seeing no games. So, you know, I know shows like this and we were scuffling for content and would would set our time by the last dance, watch that on Sunday nights. And then locally in Boston, we were getting a lot of Celtics classics from the 80s and Celtics Lakers and the ESPN 30 for 30 and and just seeing that ball and of course I was the beat guy for the Globe covering the Bird Celtics for four years and I'd keep seeing my 28 year old self sitting at courtside in seats that they now sell for five thousand dollars <laughs> but the lowly media occupied those chairs then and and we were right there and and again the league was kind of kind of second tier at that point the the NBA Finals were broadcast on tape delay you didn't have the global sensation that it became. And that really started with Magic and Larry in 79 and Michael coming in in 84, kind of promoting the league to that point. So I was in in on that. And, and in those days, it was very, very primitive. We, we stayed at Holiday Inns in Richfield, Ohio, and, and flew commercial and had layovers and waited for bags. And as the writers, it was important to them to have coverage because the writers mattered then, the papers mattered then. You know, back in the days when Rick Hummel and I mattered back yeah. then, you know, so we had that. And, and so you 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 live with them, you know, rode the buses to practice and you uh, stayed in the hotels, the hotel bars, waiting for bags. I mean, outside of uh, not having the groupies, the money or the fame, it was like being on the team. So we were we were right around it. And it was a good way to be able to tell tell the readers what they're like. And fast forward to now and you watch the covid bubble when they were playing in Orlando, the writers there had to pay sixty thousand dollars to get to get in and then had to quarantine for two weeks and sign a waiver saying they would never approach a player or a coach if they saw him away from the facility. And that's how we did all of our best work. And we were really able to tell the fans what they were like. And this team in particular was fun to tell folks what they were like because, you know, Bird, he grew up a Cardinals fan, by the way. You all should know that. I mean, that's when you were in rural Southern Indiana, that's, that's who you root for. And he loves his baseball, loved the Cardinals. And I covered Major League Baseball, so Larry was always asking me if Danny Ainge was any good as a hitter, and I had to tell him the truth and tell him not really. I picked the right sport. So, you know, there's just a lot of stories like that in this about the times when, when we would, would go there. I remember being – they went to play the Bucks, and we were waiting for bags in Milwaukee, and, and Hank Aaron came to the luggage terminal because he knew Casey Jones a little bit, and they were teasing. They said, Danny, did you hit as many homers as that guy? He said, no, Danny hit two, both in the Kingdom. So uh, that was his claim to baseball fame. Well, Dan, obviously you covered the team and you have your articles and columns that you could go back and reference. But how did you chronicle all of these stories that you went back and obviously put in the book? Did you have a diary or did you keep some sort of running track of some of the things you experienced? Thanks. That's a really good question. And, and I have a good memory, but nobody has that good a memory. And I had some old tapes of, of interviews with Bird and, and company. And, and then, of course, the Globe archives were good for the day by day. I did keep journals, not not delicate, not like high school girl diary kind of things. But I, 
I kept stuff in there. Like when someone would say something to me, like they called me Scoop, and, and I'd walk into the locker room. Nobody really trusted me, and, and Bird would always say, Scoop, do you notice how quiet it gets when you walk in here? And I'd, I'd write down little little things like that. And, and one night I wrote down he picked up the check after a night at the bar, which was watch, like watching a total eclipse of the sun. So I, I jotted that down because I knew that that didn't happen very often. So <laughs> I just had little little vignettes of, of, of scraps of, of pieces and, and a, a place to kind of tell it all. This this book's sort of like, it's like The Great Gatsby, where the Celtics are Gatsby and, and I'm Nick Carraway, just kind of being this narrator, riding along with the show here and telling everybody what, what the players are like. Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe, the new book is called Wish It Lasted Forever. And Dan, in covering the Cardinals and the Blues during that same era, one thing that, that I found out, and I was about the same age as a lot of the players, and I've actually been able to maintain a relationship with a lot of the guys, but players love to gossip. Was, that, oh. was it that way when you were writing and covering the team on a daily basis? <laughs> that is such a smart thing to say because it's so true. I mean, and Bird, like the agitators, the instigators, and we had a lot on that team. Like one night... We were in Portland, and I was typing at the other end during warm-ups, and Kenny Carr, his pass hit me in the head, and it broke my glasses. They were just warming up. And Bird, you know, he noticed everything, so he saw that. He couldn't wait to get back to the bar late at night and say, oh, Scoop, you, I saw that. You was pissed, he said. That thing hit you on the head. And I saw Kenny Carr trying to make nice, and, and you know, they just – like little things like that, or you know, if you if you spilled a, a coke on your keyboard or something, they would think everything was hilarious. Anytime you look foolish or did something stupid, uh, yeah. And and if they thought they had you, like I had a, a you know a really attractive sister-in-law in um, Michigan, and uh, you know she was visiting me for lunch, and of course Bird and Buckner they come plopping down, they think they've got me, you know, and it's like, hey, Scoop, what's going on here? And it's like, yeah, this is my relative, guys, you know, and. <laughs> And then it's like, sister-in-law, my ass scoop, you know, the whole thing like that. So it was just it was a lot of back and forth. And, and, again, it's like you say, we were sort of the same age. And the moat wasn't there at that point with the giant money and fame and mm-hmm. scared of social media and, and everything. It was There was a little bit of trust involved. But, hey, when Bird got in a barroom fight and it affected his hand and his shooting, I wrote the story because you had to write that because it, it affects the fans and the story. And, so that, you know, he didn't like that too much, but eventually he came around, you know, if any, something was true, he was okay if it got written. Dan, the behind-the-scenes access that you have in this book is unbelievable, but there is there one story or one anecdote that you said, this has to be in the book? <laughs> well, I mean, he Bird took me for $160 in a free-throw shooting contest uh, when he was taping his hand uh, during practice. They were playing the Sixers in the conference finals, and Look, his hand was like on a web, and after practice, I said, you can't tape your hand in a game and play like that. He said, Scoop, I could tape my whole hand up and make more shots than you. And, and he had this whole hustler thing going on. It was $5 a free throw, 100 free throws, and he'd tape his hand like a boxing glove. And he took me for 160 on that, you know. And, <laughs> and of course, I had to expense it because I wrote a brilliant story about it. But the IRS frowns on the word wager on expense accounts, it turns out. So we made it eight $20 lunches with Robert Parrish, and we got it through that way. But And then the next day, I gave him the eight twenties, and he stuffed it into his Converse and played with my money in his shoe the whole night. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Were you covering the team when he took – he played a game left-handed? Yes, that was in Portland. And uh, it was funny because it was a West Coast trip. Those trips, there'd be like seven games. and you, We went in and out of California three times on one trip, Sacramento and then out to Phoenix and then back to Oakland and then out to Denver and then back in to play the Lakers. And uh, But in the Portland part of that, um, he was a Friday night, and we became aware of it pretty early on because he was messing around. He was – 
it was like he was, it, the game was almost getting boring for him at that point. I think he had 47 in that game, and uh, a lot of them, when, he, when he'd get down low, he'd, he'd use the left. And then after the game, they were playing the Lakers on Sunday, which was the big showdown. He said, yeah, I'm saving my right for the Lakers. <laughs> Amazing. Dan, you talk a lot in this book about the access that you had, whether it was being on the team plane or the buses. You mentioned waiting for the luggage, going out for drinks. As media has evolved and things have become more restrictive as player access is concerned, what, what's it been like for you being along for the ride? I mean, there's just nothing now. I mean, the moat is so wide and, and it, I mean, when you covered the bubble, the COVID bubble, you had to sign a waiver saying you you wouldn't you wouldn't reveal anything if you saw anything. You wouldn't talk to anybody. And I mean, I understand the the, the caution that, that's there now. And plus, you know, we're a thousand years old now, and and they're infinitely wealthy, and and they can connect with fans from the social media directly. They don't need us. So that's just changing. I mean, I was never. I mean, I was not trustworthy for them, like writing about Larry's fight, and they were they were wary around me. But I didn't make plans with them. But if we bumped into one another, yeah, then you could hang out. That that part was okay. And there was so much just being together, like waiting for bags and being on the buses, that inadvertently you you couldn't really get out of each other's way, which which made it awkward if guys didn't like you. Parrish never liked me. Still doesn't talk to me. I mean, that's just a long-standing thing, and no one ever knew what it was about, and we still don't. The name of Dan Shaughnessy's latest book, his 13th, is Wish It Lasted Forever, available nationally today, so you can just hop on Amazon and get it. And it's from a, a great time of covering sports and one of the great writers in our country. Dan, thanks so much for the time. Congratulations on the book. It's always great to have you on the air here in St. Louis. Really enjoyed it. You guys are great. Take care. Thanks. You too. That is Dan Shaughnessy from the Boston Globe on 101 ESPN. Media was such a different animal back then. It was. And I wish we had that type of access now, but now there's such a force field around all of these guys. Sure, you can talk to them, but you have to go through so many other people to even arrange an interview these days. You can't just say, oh, I'll meet you at Baggage Claim and we'll chat. Yeah, it's absolutely different. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, new Missouri Sports Hall of Famer Mike Claiborne makes his Tuesday visit to our show on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and we congratulate our good friend and new Missouri Sports Hall of Famer, Mike Claiborne, inducted on Sunday here in town. Good morning, sir. How you doing? I'm doing well, and, and thank you for the kind words, and thank you to all the folks who reached out and were part of the event. Uh, it was really a cool thing, and uh, I, I appreciate it. What was it like, Claibs, now being a Hall of Famer? Have you changed your signature? Put the HOF on no, there? No, <laughs> uh, my girlfriend reminded me right off the hop that things were not going to change with regard to getting special treatment. So uh, even my kids kind of looked at me in the same regard and said, all right, we're done with this. You're back to dad. So, you know, nothing, nothing changes in my household. And you went in with a great group. Our friend Larry yeah. Hughes, Andy Van Slyke, Seve, Steve Savard was there, the great photographer Bill Greenblatt. You had quite a group that you went in with on Sunday. Yeah, and let's throw in Jack Watkins, too. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jack Watkins has been a mainstay in St. Louis. And all the high school uh, teams that went in and people, Charlie Brown, one of the first African-Americans to play football at the University of Missouri. Uh, yeah, it was a really good class, and uh, I'm very honored and proud to be part of it. And well-deserved. Claims, I want to know what uh, what your take is, because you've been around Skip Schumacher a lot. What's your take on Skip being the Cardinals' new bench coach? 
I'm good with it. You know, I, we talked about it last week. I thought he was a finalist between him. I, the three people I would have lived with were he, Stubby, and Carlos Beltran. Um, I, I, I felt like Skip was one of those original Cardinals that started on the backfields and worked his way in spring training to being a very good player in the majors. He's been in coaching for a while. He, he gets people. Uh, I'm excited for him. And, you know, I, I say to this, Let's enjoy Skip while we can because he'll be a manager someday. I don't think there's any question about it, uh, but I'm looking forward to him. And, and you know what, more than anything else, having a new set of eyes on the ball club and maybe making some je- some suggestions and having some observations that maybe we have maybe either overlooked or maybe not emphasized as much as maybe we could. And what about Turner Ward, Klaibs? He is completing the Cardinals coaching staff as their assistant hitting coach. He's going to help out Jeff Albert. What have you heard about him, and what do you think he'll bring to this coaching staff? Good coach. Uh, he's worked with a lot of guys in the past. That made, he's made into good players. Um, you know, I know Paul Goldschmidt's on that list. I'll I tell you a guy who really benefited from him was Yasiel Puig. I mean, we, when, when Turner Ward went elsewhere, Yasiel Puig went elsewhere too, home. Uh, and there's some other guys that he's worked with. And, and I think one of the things I appreciate about him is that, you know, I think he was a 250 hitter, but I think he really epitomizes what players, you know, who weren't necessarily great hitters, but understood hitting. And I think he's going to be a good addition as well. Um, hopefully he and Jeff Albert will be on the same page. I know Jeff teaches the game a little differently. But uh, maybe a little old school and some new school will come up to be a, a good combination. Claims I always go back to what Tony Gwynn would tell us. He, he was the classic see the ball, hit the ball yeah. kind of guy. And it seems like Mo referred to the Cardinals hitting instruction under Jeff Albert as a high-level curriculum. Some guys, hey, I brought in my transcript from my junior year of high school the other day. I, I couldn't handle a high-level curriculum. I needed as simplified <laughs> as possible. <laughs> You know what? If I could find mine, I think mine would say something that is the same same way. Uh, and I agree with you. And, and I think, you know, we talk about all you know the analytics and all the information that is available to athletes. You pick the sport. I think if you're a hitter, you know, it, it, there's some hitters that that crave for it. And there are other guys who say when they walk to the plate, they want to concentrate on three things. And not try and constantly and try and not have their hair on fire by the time they step in the batter's box. So you know, I, I think as we heard Mo say, and also uh, Oliver Marmol, maybe maybe change the narrative of how the message is conveyed is something that we may see a little bit more. Of. And, and you know, what works for the first guy may not work for the twenty-fifth guy. So that's where you have to have two coaches who can get a feel for who can do what and how they can disseminate information compared to those who just crave for more. Speaking of Mo Klaibs, after he made this comment about Paul DeYoung, I, I think everybody was trying to decipher it in one way or another. The quote was, after he broke his rib, I just don't think he ever got on track. In fairness to him, he's not getting a fair shake considering what he's done in the past. As you translate that quote, is it fair to say that you have arrived at Paul DeYoung will be the starting shortstop next season? No, I'm not sure. Okay. And, and here's why. Um I think you know, on the surface, that's what it says. But you know what? What president of baseball operations says? Boy, this guy wasn't very good for us last year. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do with him because he may have value to someone else. You, you know, who's seen him and saw some of the things he did in the past. 
you know, he's got a very team-friendly contract. And if you're looking for more pitching, you know, that might be a guy you dangle out there. So I'm not all sold on it. I, I think that Mo said the right thing for the right situation, but I think that's a two-way street of A, not throwing one of his players under the bus, but B, also creating just a mild interest in saying, hey, this guy's okay. Because he can easily say, we've got a guy that can play shortstop, that can help us, and, you know, we don't have to spend as much money. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can take that. Personally speaking, I'd love to see Paul DeYoung back. You know, he's been a guy we watched grow. I think the challenge that he has to deal with is, is the strikeouts and just the streakiness that we've seen. Defensively, he's been solid. I mean, he's a guy that I think when he came into the season, some people thought he was a gold glove candidate. So that didn't really disappear on him. It was just the fact that the offense, you know, after the first couple of weeks of the season just wasn't as consistent as we had hoped for it to be. Claims there's a great Twitter page called St. Louis Football Cardinals, and Bob Underwood runs it, and he's got tons of video. And he points out that on this date in 1975, Jim Hart threw the phantom touchdown pass to Mel Gray. Mel the, Gray. The, the phantom catch was on this date in 1975. And I'm telling you, if you watch that now and try to apply today's rules to it, there's no way that Dan Dierdorf no would have been able to talk the referee into that being a touchdown. I agree because he would have said, Dan, I'm kicking this one upstairs. Uh, Dan would have never been able to get it done. And, and you know what the ironic thing about that play, Randy? You remember later in the year where there was a similar play that that Mel Gray should have caught that he dropped in the end zone? And I believe it was in Cincinnati. And that kind of turned things around for the season as well. But certainly a play that was well before his time as far as in dire need of replay. Uh, but you're right. Had we had replayed in, that would have been an incomplete pass. Well, and the amazing thing about it, I remember how mad I got at George Allen because here was the Washington football team, the Washington Redskins, and he demanded a congressional investigation into the catch. Yeah. And he, he almost got it. He almost got You know, he was well-connected in the D.C. area with a lot, a lot of politicians. And George had a way of being persuasive. I mean, you think about the fact that he could care less about a first-round draft choice. He wanted somebody who could play then because he knew he had he didn't have time to coach kids up. He wanted to just coach good players, and, and that's why he was a successful coach. A lot going on at Claves Online, and you can follow on Twitter and on YouTube. And we want you to tell us what's going on. Well, we've got well, we we got a new version. It's called the two-man game with Bob Ramsey and Matt Rocchio, and they cover basketball from the high school pro level, college level, and they just talk hoops. Howard Richards and I have Huddle Up with Howard coming up on Thursday, and our guest will be uh, the longtime voice of the Dallas Cowboys, Brad Sham. Nice. And uh, we'll have a little bit more football coming up this week, and, of course, we'll have some hockey talk, as we always do. So we've got enough stuff to keep us busy. Let's just put it that way. Sounds great. The Hall of Famer, Mike Claiborne, joining us as he does Tuesdays on 101 ESPN. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time, and congrats again. Thank you, guys, and uh, stay in touch. Have a great week. You too. That is Mike Claiborne on 101 ESPN. Coming up, how do you feel about the Cardinals coaching staff with the additions of Skip Schumacher and Turner Ward? We want to get your texts next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by... 
Together Credit Union, here for St. Louis, here to help you achieve more with your money. Yesterday, the Cardinals officially announced that they have completed their coaching staff. Former Cardinal Skip Schumacher, who has been in the Padres organization for many years, rejoins the Cardinal organization as Oliver Marmol's bench coach. And Turner Ward, who was the hitting instructor for the Dodgers in 2017-2018. I believe he replaced Mark McGuire there and was the hitting coach for a couple of Dodgers World Series teams. He is the Cardinals' new assistant hitting coach under Jeff Albert. And I'm intrigued. I like the idea that they have a guy that played 12 years in the majors that obviously was involved in baseball and around hitting at a high level before we had analytics. Because like I said, with Mike Claiborne, Michelle, I think there are players out there who just get overwhelmed by information. And sometimes the thing for those guys to do is just simplify. I remember reading a story one time that Manny Ramirez had attention deficit. And one of the reasons that he was such a good hitter is because he couldn't remember what the pitcher had done to him the previous time. Wow. Every at-bat was brand new for Manny Ramirez, so he didn't get bogged down in, man, this guy got me with a curve on uh-huh. a 2-0 pitch last time. He it, got out of his head. It, exactly. And so I think there are some guys that are just that way that it's best to, to have it as simple as possible. Well, what's the assignment for Turner Ward? It's to compliment Jeff Albert mm-hmm. and the philosophy that he has implemented. Why is Mike Schilt no longer here? Philosophical differences. And so when I was reading in the Post-Dispatch, uh, Turner Ward's comments about getting the job, he said, I'm extremely excited. I know Jeff's resume and what he's trying to do. To be a part of that at this point in my career is just a huge blessing. So he understands the assignment. He understands that he needs to come in and work in sync and in lockstep with Jeff Albert to disseminate this information to the players. So clearly John Mozalek and the Cardinals have decided that whoever they bring in on this coaching staff, everyone has got to be on the same page. And it seems like Turner Ward is. I'm intrigued to see what happens with DeYoung. You brought him up with Mike Claiborne, and I don't have much confidence in Paul DeYoung returning to form, rib injury or not. I'm not one that to hand out excuses for a year and a half downturn. But if they can get him going, that'll kind of prove their mettle, that they're pretty good at at least turning a guy around. Every player is different and every injury is different. But do you think we look at the Paul DeYoung rib injury a little differently because Harrison Bader sustained a similar injury almost at the same Mm -hmm. time? And when he returned from that, did not have the same issues that Paul DeYoung had. That's part of it for me. And the other part is, is what we brought up earlier. I think that Paul DeYoung might just be too smart for his own good and overthink things rather than just go up and swing the bat. And he does strike out a lot. And there are reasons that some guys are really good hitters and some guys just aren't good hitters. And if Major League Baseball finds out that there's a hole in your swing, mm-hmm. they're going to exploit it. They're going to if there's an easy way to get you out for them, everybody is going to know about it. If there's a vulnerability, they will attack. Yep, they sure will. Text 65780 to the Air Comfort Service text line. From the 636, this is the first time in a while I feel the Cardinals coaching staff are all going in the same direction. Before, it always felt like there was an old school type of coaching staff. I'm very excited to see Skip back, and I'm excited to see these coaches help the team move forward. Capes, the A in Capes is or Cape is alignment. And Skip Schumacher talked about it. If you didn't read the piece with Derek Gould and Skip Schumacher, find it at stltoday.com. But 
having an organizational alignment and have, having everybody pointed in the same direction is a key for any good organization. And clearly, if they didn't think that Schilt or Joe Boo was, were on the same page and they needed to get everybody aligned in the same direction from an organizational standpoint, that will make a huge difference. Having everybody pulling the rope in the same direction for a sports team makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Flow and alignment is very important. However, I do think diversity of thought is also mm-hmm. valuable because if something is not working, to just double and then triple down on it because everybody's committed to the same approach sometimes is not the right answer either. So I am interested to see how it works with everybody in alignment and everybody following the same philosophy. But if there are hiccups, I wonder what that's going to look like. Well, and here's the thing. It's imperative for a quality leader to oversee all of that. And this was the wonder of Dick Vermeil because he surrounded himself with a lot of people that had a lot of different opinions. He had five five former head coaches on his staff, but he was able to get everybody in their own way to pull the rope, not only on the coaching staff, but organizationally in the same direction. And I think one thing that the Cardinals, at least as far as I was concerned, when Mo said that there were bigger things than winning, that's a huge red flag for me because the main thing, winning, is always the main thing. There can't be philosophical differences that are bigger than winning. Winning should be the only objective. Yes. But maybe he thought that they weren't winning at the clip they needed to. It wasn't NLCS. It wasn't World Series. So maybe it's winning, but we need to get to the next tier of winning. I hope that's the case and it's not, okay, we're going to do this my way. We, we were winning, we were on the right trajectory, but it wasn't my way. And that, to me, is what the red flag is. And I don't know. I, I didn't ask the follow-up question to that. And the Cardinals didn't explain their philosophical differences. I hope the philosophical differences were not, okay, he, he had the team on a trajectory to win. I was happy with the way he was managing, but I wasn't happy because it wasn't the way I wanted the team managed. That would be my concern. And Andrew points out to us, Jeff Passon reporting that Noah Syndergaard headed to the Angels on a one-year deal for $21 million. So another starting pitcher off the market. This morning, the uh, Blue Jays have signed Jose Barrios to a contract. Edwin Rodriguez, Eduardo Rodriguez signing a a five-year, $77 million deal yesterday with the Tigers. By the way, Syndergaard, one-year, $21 million. So those guys are coming off the market, and we're getting a pretty good gauge now of what the market is for AAV for certain guys. The Noah Syndergaard deal is interesting. He's going to be healthy, have a fresh start somewhere else. I'm interested to see what he looks like this season. And he'll be pitching with a lineup that includes, hopefully for them, Trout, Rendon, and Otani. One of the big problems that Jacob deGrom has had with the Mets is no run support. You should get run support with the Angels. And clearly the Angels realize we need to go out and get some pitching. Now they need four more. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, One down, well, four no, to go. they've got Otani, so okay, three so more. Two down, three to go. You're right. They do have Otani. Another text? Sure. Um, let me pull this up really quickly. I am thrilled Skip Schumacher is back in the organization. I wish he would have been named the manager for the Cardinals. I'm fine with Ali Marmol, and I'm really glad that Skip is back in the organization as well. Quality people that are smart are an important commodity. And I I don't know about a lot of other people. I do know that Skip Schumacher 
is a quality individual. He's smart and, and he gets the sport and he's willing to learn. We talk about having a vision and this is a guy that is a young player. He and Dunk would go out to California and work with Mark McGuire on their hitting. He worked with Albert on his hitting. He reunited with McGuire with the Angels. And as a guy who had played under an old school manager like Tony Larusa, was willing to buy into the analytics that AJ Preller wanted. So from every angle you look at, Skip Schumacher, I don't think, can be a bad hire for the Cardinals. Everybody that we have talked to just raves about his communication and his transparency, yeah. and I think he walks in there with immediate respect and buy-in from every player in that clubhouse. And he's disarming. He has a great personality. Yeah, so many people talked about a sense of humor. When Brad Thompson says to us on our show that he's the funniest teammate he's had yeah. or one of the funniest teammates he has, that tells you all you need to know because Brad's the funniest person we know. Right, exactly. Um, from the 314, Randy, I thought the second hitting coach should be Big Mac or Matt Holland. Holiday, someone like that. I'm not so sure. Big Mac told us that he wanted his youngest son to finish high school this year. So I don't think Big Mac was in for that. And in communicating with him, I don't think he had much interest at this time in joining any coaching staff, let alone uh, the, the Cardinal coaching staff. And I don't know if they approached Matt Holiday. He also has a senior in high school. And it seems like Matt also wants to get his kids, uh, he wants to spend as much time with his kids as possible before they take off to college. But he did say in his hit with the fast lane when his name was getting thrown in the ring for manager that mm -hmm. that's certainly something that he would be intrigued by and um, a conversation that he would listen to. Yeah, so he cut three years away from that. I have. Do you think Matt Holiday will be a major league manager? I think he will. I yeah. think he'd be great. Yeah, smart guy, gets the media thing. Yeah, I think he, he'll be really good. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. There are some new creative ideas by Major League Baseball to set the salaries of young players. We're going to talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet CA, and he's going to tell us what he thinks of these ideas next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Ben Nicholson-Smith covers baseball for Sportsnet CA, and he's been covering the negotiations, such as they are, for a new agreement between the owners and players in Major League Baseball. And he's got a lot going on this morning as he joins us from Toronto. Ben, thanks so much for your time this morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I think this is the first time I've ever been on a celebrity line, so that's a good start. <laughs> you are officially a celebrity on this show in St. Louis. Hey, let's start with this. Uh, the Blue Jays come to an agreement with Jose Barrios this morning on a seven-year deal for $131 million. What's your take on that? Well, it's a nice deal for the Blue Jays. They need pitching, and they need to secure some of these long-term players. Brio's obviously a really good pitcher, maybe more of a number two, but you need those guys to win. And so to lock him up for basically it'll be $20 million per free agent year, that's a nice deal. Keeps him away from free agency and helps build out a pitching staff for this team. And a guy that the Blue Jays drafted, Thor, Noah Syndergaard, signs with the Angels one year, $21 million. And I said with the with the signing of Rodriguez yesterday by Detroit, we're starting to get a little bit of definition into this free agent pitching market, aren't we? Yeah, we really are. It's it's getting pretty interesting. And I, I like this deal for the Angels. I think they need more pitching still. Syndergaard's a good start. I mean, he brings a lot of upside. You know, with, with someone who has battled so many injuries over the years, 
doesn't bring a ton of certainty. So I still think that the Angels need to go out there and get, is it a John Gray, is it a Steven Matz, an Alex Cobb again? I mean, they, they need to flesh out that rotation a little bit to, to build around what should be an incredible offense. But again, it's a good start. And it is nice to see that the starting pitching market's moving along a little bit. Ben, as we get closer to 11.59 p.m. Eastern time on December 1st, otherwise known as the expiration of the CBA, what do you think we're in for when it comes to the negotiations here? Are we looking at a work stoppage, a shortened season? Do you think we're at a point where the 2020 season is threatened at all? Where do you think baseball stands? Well, yeah, let's hope that we don't miss any baseball. I think after after last year, I think based on the people that I'm talking to, no one's expecting that we'll see, uh, you know, many missed games, if any missed games in 2022. And I mean, that's where, as long as cooler heads prevail, um, you know, hopefully we will get that full baseball season. But of course, to get there, they need to resolve a lot of economic issues in the context of this collective agreement and even some on-field issues. So it's a lot to get through. And, you know, covering baseball over the years, as, as I'm sure the two of you can can relate to, it's an industry that's driven by deadlines. You know, it's the trade deadline. It's the tender deadline. You have your off-season 40-man deadline. And rarely do teams or players move before they have to. So I, I just, I tend to think that, and this is based on the conversations that I've had with people in the industry, that when we get to December 1st, there will not be a deal. And that will be a stoppage. The owners will lock the players out. And so then the question becomes how long it lasts. And the general expectation from people that I talk to is that at some point, maybe it's early February, but at some point there's finally an agreement and then there's a flurry of signings and then boom, time for spring training. Ben, we know that these two sides, there's no love lost between them. We saw that when they were trying to get things jump-started in the 2020 season. But money is always the driving force. And I would think after what we saw in 2020, limited capacity crowds, a lot of franchises losing revenue, that that might be an incentive for both sides to come to the table and negotiate. A hundred percent. I mean, in, a, in an alternate world where you know that COVID season never happened, I think there might be more of a chance that we would see some sort of a stoppage. But now both sides have seen what it's like very recently to have no revenue. And I don't think anyone liked it. And I don't (laughs) think the fans liked it. I don't think the players or owners liked it. And that's pretty recently in the rearview mirror. So with that in mind, I think everyone involved has a lot of incentives to get a deal done. Of course, that means concessions from both sides. And no one wants to make those concessions on – November the 16th, but I think eventually it'll have to happen. Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet.ca with us on 101 ESPN. And Ben, as you know, and as any avid baseball fan knows, analytics have played a huge role in the last few years of MLB, whether it's on the field or off the field, in analytics providing a team a price for a player. Now, Major League Baseball reportedly wants to actually tie war to what young players make. Rather than having arbitration or negotiation, war would determine a player's value, and it it would be just out there. It wouldn't be something that's behind the scenes. What are you hearing about that, and what do you think of that? Well, I heard that that was in a proposal that Major League Baseball made to the players, and the players as probably most workforces would, would feel this way if they were confronted with a formula that's going to sum up their, their entire contributions. The players and, and the representatives, the agents that I was talking to, 
did not like this idea. And so I don't think that it will gain traction. But, you know, as for my opinion, I, I don't think that it makes a lot of sense to try to reduce it. If, if you're talking about, you know, let's say it's an entire player's career. You know, we're looking at, I don't know, Albert Pujols versus Robin Yount versus Cal Ripken Jr. And you want to get a sense of how do these players compare in history. Then war can be incredibly useful. I mean, mm-hmm. it gives you, you know, a big picture look at, at how these how these players compare. What kind of value have they brought? And the little rounding errors tend to balance out over the course of a 20-year period. But if you're talking about arbitration and an injured player, let's say a guy like Syndergaard who maybe missed some time and he's – you know, played a month and is his war negative? Does that mean he owes the team money? I mean, <laughs> <Good point>. this, <laughs> like, this, it doesn't really work, I, I don't think. So I don't think it'll gain much traction. And here's another one that I, I don't understand from the player's perspective, and that is the salary floor, which reportedly was offered at $100 million for the salary floor. Players have get, been getting less and less money over the last four years, and the, the big money players are going to make their money. I don't understand why players would be against a salary floor because owners aren't all of a, gonna, all of a sudden going to start paying more just because they, they have a new deal in place. If, if there's not going to be a cap and there is a floor, how is that a negative for the uh, – and there already is, by the way, the nominal cap with luxury tax. How would a floor be a negative for the players? It's a great question. Um, my understanding of it is that the floor would be paired with restrictions at the top so that you would bring, you would essentially compress everything into the middle under the proposals that have included the floor. So I don't think it's the floor in isolation that the players are in opposition to. Um, I think it's the total proposal that would see kind of everything compressed to let's say that 100 to $200 million range. And so you know, that's, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is it depends on where you place that floor. I mean, if you place it at, let's say it's $100 million, you know, there aren't a ton of teams that are under. So you would see, you know, let's say the Pirates and the Orioles and the Marlins and maybe the Rays pulled up to that threshold. The Guardians probably pulled up a little bit. But the thinking, according to some people that I've heard from, is that it wouldn't actually lead to a total outlay of spending that's that different. And then so that means the players wouldn't be super inclined to make a lot of concessions to get it. Got it. And then uh, I just want to ask how you guys are doing up there. We see that the Ottawa Senators in Ontario have had to deal with another COVID outbreak. The Blue Jays never got back to full capacity, right, at, at the end of the season. Yeah. How are things going up there in regards to COVID in sports? Well, great question and way better. I mean, way, way better than before. Uh, we were a little later than you in in the U.S. to get uh, vaccines rolled out here. So it's kind of slowed everything down. We were kind of behind when it came to getting fans back and getting a lot of things back. But now that's really been able to happen pretty safely, of course, with some exceptions. Like you mentioned, I think the Senators canceled their game through the, through the rest of the week or postponed them. So never like to see that. Hopefully everyone's safe in Ottawa. But um, but yeah, so far it's it's been way better. I think there's a huge sense of optimism that – you know, we'll be able to get back to something resembling a normal season in 2022 for the Jays. And I know they're playing full capacity for the Raptors and the NBA and, of course, for the Leafs here in the NHL. So good to see that and, you know, obviously have to be responsible in the meantime. But things seem to be trending in a good direction. Good to hear about it. Ben, great information. We loved having you on. Thanks so much. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. 
Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Take care. Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet.ca. He is the baseball editor for that fine website, and you heard him here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Dan McLaughlin has his show, The Danny Mac Show, featuring BK at the top of the hour, and we'll cross things over with Dan next on 101 ESPN. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. mentioned the success of the St. Louis University soccer team ranked number 10 in the country and they receive a bye in the NCAA tournament. They'll play this coming weekend and as Dan McLaughlin enters the studio, we need to point, point out to you that your Billikens of St. Louis U soccer team, the only undefeated team in the country heading into the NCAA tournament. Let's go Bills. Alright. Congratulations yeah. on your success. S-A-I-N-T-L O-U-I-S. Also, uh, Billiken basketball tonight in Memphis, taking on the 11th-ranked Tigers. So, slew with a big one as uh, they take their 3-0 record on the road to take on Penny Hardaway and, and, the, and the Tigers. So, after disappointing losses last night by the I-L-L-I-N-I. Mm-hmm. No coffee, though. And M-I-Z-Z-O-U. Uh, hopefully... The folks at St. Louis U, the players at St. Louis U, can make us proud. Hi, Dan. What's going on, guys? I'm looking forward to the slew game tonight. You're going to see a pretty good Memphis team. And this is no disrespect to Harris Stowe, but it's not Harris Stowe. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. I saw Penny Hardaway at the old arena. I always remind Scott Highmark this when they were playing against Penny. He took off. It's one of the greatest dunks I've ever seen in person. He took off maybe one step in the lane, leaned it towards the uh, the hoop, and slammed it down. It was like he was flying in the air for about a good 10 feet and uh, dunked it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's a really good player. <laughs> that's an athlete. That was a really good player, and he was a really good pro. It's amazing yeah. that Penny and Shaq didn't win in it Orlando. It is unbelievable. Yeah, having those two in that combination. But um, – you know what? His recruiting stance is kind of basically, hey, we're, we're going to get guys in here to be pros, and he's getting pros, and they're winning. So it'll be a great test for uh, Slew tonight. By the way, Dan, I don't know if you've heard, but we had a fox in the garage this morning. Is that so right? I, uh, I left, and then I went back in to grab a jacket, and apparently the fox entered the garage. Way to go, Randy. In the space of three or four hours, this fox has been named Foxy. Critter control has been called. This is at your house. Yeah, in, in our garage. Uh, Do you Foxy, keep your trash in the garage? It was trash day. It was outside. Okay. Uh, Foxy has been caught and is being relocated to Bowling Green. Apparently, he's about seven months old, and Critter Control says he's going to be taken in by, by another Fox family. So that's good. How, Wonderful. How do we know that the Fox family will accept Foxy? I have no idea. That's they gravitate troubling. towards each other. Yeah, you hope so. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think of uh, Thor going to the Angels? One year, $21 million. Yeah, I mean, I guess you got to hope that uh, he's healthy and they felt comfortable enough that $21 million on a bounce-back year after coming off of uh, multiple injuries and Tommy John is is good enough. That's going great for a guy that could be top-notch for them. Clearly, they need pitching. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look at their team, it, it comes down to pitching. So um, it could be a, just a, a tremendous signing for the Angels or it's just one that you're kind of throwing money at and hoping that you catch lightning in a bottle. But, you know, when he's healthy, he's obviously very, very good. Makes sense. 
clearly that's their top priority. If yep. I'm the Angels, I don't know if there's any team in baseball that should have a greater sense of urgency to win right now than the Angels. Having Trout and Otani, you need to go for it. Yeah, I, I put the Cardinals in there too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Cardinals have Goldie and Arenado, and they're not getting any younger, But and not to say that they're out of their primes after the years that they just had, but with the young outfield you got, you got Molina in his final year, maybe Wayno in his final year. You should have a very good team, a chance to win the division. Um, and I'm, I'm fascinated by what the Cardinals do. I, I've been fascinated. I was wondering, you know, a week from now or a week ago today, you know, would teams be spending money prior to this CBA, mm-hmm. you know, deadline? And, and we're getting an answer to that. There was another report of, I can't remember who it was this morning, but signing for, um, I think it was seven years. Rios. That's right. Uh, seven years, 131. Back to the, the Blue Jays. So, you know, teams are spending money and saying, let's do it. And the the money seems to be in the 20 to $25 million range for guys that have either done it before mm-hmm. or people hope can do it. Yesterday, Rodriguez gets 77 over 5 from the Tigers. The Barrios deal is going to be a little over $20 million. Thor is over $20 million. Scherzer's going to get his 30 But I wonder if a guy like Stroman now, if, if you have him, if he, if he slots in at about 23 so it'd be five for 20. You're talking about five for like 125. Yeah. You know, in that range, I would assume, is probably what he's looking at. I don't know if the Cardinals would feel comfortable going to five with him. I don't know he's if I feel comfortable old. going to five with anybody, especially pitchers. No, but like you say, and the Cardinals don't feel desperation. Not desperation, but they don't feel, I don't think, the need that we feel to... <laughs> validate their acquisitions of Goldschmidt and Arnado and try to do everything they can to make the Yachty and Wayno last years as successful as possible. We're willing to go spend their money to mm-hmm. to make those great. I don't know that the Cardinals will overspend to make those great. I don't think they will. They have a couple of pitchers that are coming up, and this is outside of Matthew Libertor, too, that they feel will be here in the next couple of years. So the urgency to fill that gap now is probably not being felt as much by them as it does by the fan base mm-hmm. or by us just looking at the immediacy of next year would be my guess. And they've done a good job of staggering contracts and making sure that not five guys are up in the same year like the Cubs are, are have dealt with and um, some other teams have dealt with to where they, they tank and then go for it. They've been winning, so they can stagger. You know, you also have to figure in this thing too. You know, where's Jack Flaherty in your plans? Mm-hmm. Where's the... The money go for him. At some point, Tyler O'Neill is going to make big money if he continues to be the player that he was a year ago. What do you want to do with Harrison Bader? Dylan Carlson is going to be arbitration eligible very, very soon. Um, So those are some of the things that you have to think about, I think, going forward to where do you want to dedicate that much money to a guy that you know years one and two could really help you, but years three, four, and five, you're paying that kind of money for that player? I don't know if they feel comfortable doing that. Dan, what did you think about the announcement of the Cardinals coaching staff? Skip Schumacher, as expected, and also Turner Ward joining Jeff Albert as the assistant hitting coach. I just think it's important that you have former, and this is no disrespect to the staff that they have and have had, that guys, whether they've been in the major leagues as players or not, or their major league careers were short, um, I just think it's good to have experience. Guys that have been there, and both guys, Turner Ward played, I think, 12 years in the major leagues. Skip got over 10 there's just something to that. Being able to have a, a guy that's been there before, and again, not to say that the others haven't. I mean, Stubby played in the major leagues. 
Uh, they've had, obviously, Willie was a longtime major leaguer. Brian Eversgird was in the major leagues. Mike Maddox played a long time in the major leagues. But from potentially <clears throat> the hitting side of things and the messaging, which I think at times wasn't where it needed to be, you have a former major leaguer that's been in that box for 12 years and saying, hey, here's what we're seeing and this is what we're thinking. I just think it's instant credibility. I really do, and and that's important with this staff. And in addition to Yachty and Wayno, having somebody that understands what a different game September is and then what a different game October is, somebody who can actually relay that who's been through it makes a big difference to me. Yeah, I, I, I just think the, the whole thing of – that's why, you know, like when you were talking about this, Michelle, the other day and, and have, you know, potential of a Matt Carpenter joining – the Cardinals in some role, or Izzy is in that role, Ryan Ludwig and some of these others. Those guys have been through the ups and the downs and the injuries and being released and going through free agency and stuff on the field, off the field. There's something to that. You know, when a guy has been there and done it and says, hey, here's how I handled it. Mm -hmm. This is maybe something you want to think about. It's just instant credibility and instant credibility of having players that have been there and played in the league is important. It really is. And also in a time where analytics are so important, having guys like that on your staff who not only understand what it's like to be in that position on the field, but what it's like for the human being to be yeah. in that position, I think is really valuable. Well, it's it's also these guys have been around um, the modern day baseball look of having played. I mean, the game has changed more in five years than it has in 50. <laughs> so they played prior to all this stuff coming in here. And now they've, they've been a part of it as it's been introduced more and more and more. So those guys can relate that. They can explain it and go back to when they were playing and then what we're trying to do now. And here's what maybe we're seeing. This is what we see on tape. This is what I see in the box. This is what I see with my eyes. Are you paying attention to the the starter going tonight? This is what he's doing to you. Mm -hmm. Um, That makes a difference. So uh, I think it's it's been good. And the one of Skip, I, I don't know Turner Ward, but I know Skip incredibly well. We've been texting the last couple of weeks, even before um, this all came out. He's a cardinal, you know, and now I'm not saying that he finishes up here and he might be a manager next year somewhere else, but getting back in, in him into the family, I mean, I knew when he was a minor leaguer, he, he is a great human being and that's great. It's awesome to have good people around and you want that, but he also grinded. Mm-hmm. I mean, he grinded to get everything that he got out of it and has been in the system and understands the inner workings of it. So to me, it's it's the perfect fit for what you're trying to get done. We will be tuned in to the Danny Mac Show with BK. All right. Looking forward to it. Anthony Castrovince will be our guest from uh, MLB.com. And you see him uh, always popping up on MLB Network, one of the insiders that they have. So looking forward to that. Beautiful. Great job by our producer engineer today, Andrew Marsh. Thank you, sir. You are welcome. Michelle, this was fun. It was. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. Go 49ers. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Niners. And for all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Blues game tonight, too. Yeah. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.